Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets, presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Well, thank you, Mr. Announcer. I am indeed Tom Dobrez, owner of Cool Radio Streaming. And speaking with us today is a gentleman that has been involved with a handful of small to medium-sized market radio stations for the past few decades. He is currently at KXLG in Watertown, South Dakota. He's known for building all-star teams in very small markets and producing some pretty prodigious revenue marks. Currently in a town of less than 25,000 people, his radio station bills $1.5 million annually. He's been called the epitome of local radio service, Bob Fain. (laughs) Well, thanks, Todd. I don't know if I can uh, live up to that intro. Bob, we're looking forward to hearing your cool radio story today. But first, let me make a few programming notes before we begin. There is indeed a cloud hanging over this production at this time as the world remains mostly in quarantine over the threat of the coronavirus COVID-19. And we're going to hear Bob's thoughts about survival tactics for radio stations during these troubled times. But we're going to table that towards the end of our show. Also want to inform the listener that we will hear from attorney John Garziglia during our Ask John segment. We'll be asking John about some pressing legal matters in the radio world. We'll also check in with John Wanzong of Radio Max for his insight in our audio column we call Digging Into Digital as we help you navigate the digital planet out there. But first things first, Bob, let's start at the beginning. I'm always curious to hear the answer, and I start all interviews off with the same one. What was radio job number one for well, you? Well, it was uh, 1984 at uh, KSDR AM in Watertown, South Dakota. I had uh, been in retail here um, for uh, a number of years, managing, uh, well, not a number of years, like five years. I'd sold for the newspaper prior to getting into a retail store. Managed a uh, retail store here locally for about five years, bought a lot of radio, and uh, I'd go in and record my own ads, and I always just liked the atmosphere. I thought it was uh, thought it was a uh, fun atmosphere, so eventually I ended up getting hired on uh, as a sales manager at KSDR AM 1480 AM Daytimer. It was a challenge because by then FMs had become uh, much more of the landscape. I remember our, my first month, February of 1984, we billed $6,300 total. Uh, and uh, eventually we added an FM and uh, eventually I bought those stations. And uh, it's all just uh, been a fun ride since. Well, maybe that adage is true. You're not just the owner, you're a client as well, or at least you were a client and turned into an owner. Very interesting story there of getting into ownership of the radio station. Where Along the way, obviously, some highlights. Could you maybe point some of those out for us? Well, I guess the uh, uh, the highlights would be uh, we we persevered with that AM daytimer for, uh, well, I was there for almost six years before we got our FM on the air. And uh, gosh, the first month, uh, you know, we'd grown that, that AM station, as I mentioned, 
uh, started at $6,300 the first month, and we were pretty consistently in the 30000 plus range per month. And we added the FM, and uh, our business went up uh, significantly. It really took off. That was probably one of the most fun times I had in radio after we'd struggled and struggled and struggled for every nickel. Uh, suddenly, the, the the doors flew open, and um, uh, we were... We were doing very well almost instantly. We'd we'd worked hard, had a good sales staff along the way. We built a lot of good uh, relationships within the community. And apparently the only reason they weren't buying us was because of the AM Daytimer factor. I mean, several were, but uh, once we got our big FM on the air, a whole lot more jumped in. So that was definitely a highlight. That was probably that and, and putting our current station on the air and watching it take off. Those were probably the two most fun times I had in the in the business. Uh, I, uh, I I still look back and say it was a mistake. We had those stations doing very well, but uh, in the dot com era and the in the time of consolidation, um, I frankly uh, I said I'll never make another big decision based on fear because that's kind of what I did. I, I was so uncertain about the future with. Uh, websites becoming so much more predominant. Um, I had a good offer, a good opportunity to sell in uh, 2000, and uh, the money was right. I was nervous, um, so I took it. Uh, big mistake because uh, I'd have been better off sticking with that uh, with that pair of stations because they were doing well, nearly debt free, and uh, things just got better in our market for radio instead of more dangerous, as I was afraid of. And I was only 42, 42, 43 years old, so I was too young to hang it up. You know, made that decision, and uh, it, it worked out in the long run for us. It's a very interesting perspective. Uh, the fact that now, as we're recording this, we, of course, are in the midst of this coronavirus, COVID-19, and its impact and creating significant fear in the marketplace. What have you perhaps learned about or what would you have done differently, let's say, and knowing what you now know is maybe helpful to those who are facing the current challenge and crisis? Well, I would have stayed in. I would have stayed in. I, you know, I was reading trade publications and such back then that I remember one of them said that we, uh, we had to, within the next three or four years, get 50% of our revenue off of our website. Well, I barely... I knew what a website was, and that was in the in the nineties. We had one, I, I believe, <laughs> but uh, I sure didn't know how we were going to get half our revenues off of it. And and honestly, the uh, uh, my good friend uh, Dean Sorensen was uh, was my competitor in the market back then, and Dean had just sold out before me. And uh, the people he sold to were uh, was called Weight Communications, Weight Broadcasting. It was uh, Norm Weight who was the brother of Ted Waite, who was the uh, CEO of Gateway Computers back then. It was a big, uh, big operation. And so here I was already afraid of, uh, of the digital world coming and worried about making all this money off my website that I had no clue how to do. And now I'm, uh, now my new competitor across town is owned by, partially owned by Gateway Computers. Uh, that, uh, that's where uh, all the combination of all those things that I refer to as making a decision based on fear. Uh, that's where they all came from. In hindsight, I wish I'd, uh, 
I just stuck around because those fears of 50% and things like that were clearly unfounded. And uh, again, uh, having a station that was nearly debt-free now, uh, 30 years ago, <laughs> I think we could have uh, we could have done uh, pretty darn well. But uh, anyway, uh, made the decision. Hindsight is 2020. And then about uh, 11 years ago, I got an opportunity to get back in the business, and I was happy to jump at it. Well, and now you are back, and the good news is you're at KXLG, and I want to encourage our listeners to go check out your website. There'll be a link in the show notes to myKXLG.com, and the reason I want people to go there is it it really illustrates how you can connect your websites as well as your radio station to your community, and let's, let's talk a little bit about that, Bob, if you don't mind sharing with us the, the thought process behind connecting to the community and what you do specifically to, to help you and the radio station become a part of that community? Well, I guess uh, there's no big secrets about how we connected with the uh, community. I've always been very involved myself personally. You know, all the local things, state level. I was even uh, in that gap when I was out of radio. I even did crazy things like get involved in politics and I was uh, in the state legislature here for six years. Um, so that's that's always been something that's been easy for me, and it's. But I've also realized along the way that that was highly important. I mean, back in the days of that AM daytimer I talked about, had myself and some of my staff not been highly connected to the community, chamber of commerce, whatever, we'd have never survived. So I, uh, I know that was part of the reason people bought from us then was our involvement. So our our staff is not only encouraged, they're near required to uh, get involved in things in the community. And, um, you know, I, I can't point to anything special because we've done a lot of different things. In fact, in uh, 2018, we were, um, we were real happy and honored to win a uh, NAB Crystal Award here uh, at KXLG. Uh, we won two of those, by the way, back with my previous FM. So, I mean, it's just been a culture that we've always had um, to be involved. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's what small market radio is about. If you're in a small market with eight radio stations, uh, if you're not really connected to your community, uh, you're just missing out on a whole bunch of opportunities. Well, I also want to point out, Bob, that you're billing uh, an incredible amount of money at a, a standalone station, and you're not the only thing in the market. There's a number of radio stations. There's a newspaper, right? Exactly. How many radio stations are there? There's eight of us. Um, there's uh, six in one group. Those are the stations that I mentioned. Dean Sorensen and I were uh, competitors years ago. He had four, I had two, and uh, eventually they went under the same ownership. And then there's myself and one other standalone FM. So yeah, it's a busy place. Uh, eight radio stations in a market of uh, well, the town of 22,000, a market of about 50 or 60,000. So yeah, you got to get involved in the community when you got a, a whole lot of people. We've got a uh, a daily newspaper here yet and, uh, you know, a couple uh, fairly aggressive cable TV outlets, no, uh, no TV station in the market. So that's one thing we don't have to deal with. And of course, all that being said, uh, now, uh, you know, back in the, in the 80s and 90s, if you'd have asked me who our biggest competitor was, I'd have told you the newspaper. Well, now it's clearly digital. Uh, if we 
if we uh, lose business now, it's almost always to uh, one of our digital competitors. Well, let's explore that a little bit more, Bob, if you don't mind. You mentioned digital as your key competitor right now, digital alternatives for the local businesses. How are you combating that? Well, we've put a lot of emphasis. You mentioned our website, and uh, we've put a lot of emphasis on our website. We try and uh, have the most local information on our website, and everything that goes on our website also goes on our Facebook page simultaneously. Um, you know, the numbers I'm quoting here aren't huge by most people's standards, but uh, again, 22,000 in our market. Our Facebook page has over 13,000 followers, and our website this year will uh, do a little over 3 million page visits. And um, uh, so we've we've done well as far as working our, uh, our local uh, website. I am pleased, I'll give them a plug here, we, uh, we're affiliated with the town news people, uh, hosting and uh, designing our website. And we have uh, a uh, small company, uh, an ad agency called Max Media that does day-to-day work uh, with us on keeping our website operating and uh, attractive and functional. Um, as far as sales, uh, we're, we're selling, you know, Facebook, uh, we're selling uh, a lot, of course, uh, banner ads and uh, block ads and the sorts on our website. Uh, that's been growing significantly for us. Uh, we're quite successful on selling pre-rolls to our, our listen live. And, um, and then one thing we've done that's a little unique, uh, we've sold uh, on a few times, few occasions, we've sold our, our scroll that goes across the car dial. You know, if you're driving your car and you'll, uh, you see messages on the, uh, on, on the front of your radio, uh, we've even uh, sold that. We don't sell it often because we charge a lot for it because we don't want it on there all the time. We want to have most of it to ourselves. And uh, But we have occasionally sold our scroller. So those are the deals that we're using for revenue. Uh, you know, there's a lot more options out there, things we could sell. But frankly, we aren't sold out in any of those areas. And I don't want to give, uh, you know, I don't want our, our sales staff taking a shotgun approach. I want, you know, we've got four or five items that we can sell digitally. And if we sell all those out, we'll expand it. But right now, that's what we're focusing on. Okay, well, there's a great deal to unpack there. Uh, First, let's begin with sort of the website and the content that you're getting. Sounds like you're using a third party for that information. Are you doing some of it on your own? How does that work? All we do uh, as, as far as creating content on our website locally is local news. Uh, we have an obituary page. We have a page where we put our promotions on there. There's some of it, you know, uh, uh, the the pages that are, especially uh, the pages on there that are that are static that don't change on a daily basis. A lot of that we created. Uh, again, local news changes constantly, but the rest of the news, the rest of the content uh, that's on there, the statewide, the national, the weather, the sports. Most all of that is coming through Town News, who I mentioned earlier. Okay, so that's sort of more or less the editorial content where you're getting that from the two main sources, Town News and, of course, locally produced. Now, how about the advertiser response? You mentioned that you're selling tile ads. You've got some other billboarded opportunities online. Are you just putting them up and the advertisers are content with that or are in fact they asking for a little bit more detail and they want to know reach numbers etc oh no they they want they want numbers <laughs> of our 
you know, that's digital. Uh, digital has trained them to want numbers for everything. And uh, we, we can provide them with all of our website numbers per page, you know, per visitor, unique visitors, you know, page views on and on and on. Uh, and fortunately, we're in an unrated radio market. I say fortunately, because I was, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't uh, like and I'm not comfortable selling um, radio by the numbers never have. And I'm sure if we had numbers here, we'd do well. I mean, our station is obviously popular, but um, I'd much rather sell with ideas. Uh, selling numbers to me seems like a very temporary solution. If your numbers are good, you're going to do well. If they slip, you're going to do poorly. I'd rather take ideas to the clients and uh, we do uh, well that way and we sell long-term. You know, one one real neat thing that we've, well, I've done it for years, but we've been very successful with it here is what we refer to as think tanks. Um, we do, well, <laughs> right now during the shutdown, we haven't done many, but typically we do probably one a week where we will uh, bring the client into the radio station. We set up in our conference room. We bring in lunch. Uh, we bring in as many of our staff people as we can, uh, both sales and on air, because you get a real good left brain, right brain mix when you've got both departments in there. I've got a lot of veterans with a lot of experience and a lot of great ideas. Anyway, we set everybody down around the conference table and we just start peppering our client with questions. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't get to eat very much. But uh, we just uh, bombard them with questions. It's almost uh, it's almost like a uh, needs analysis. Uh, you know, the client needs analysis. Only we're doing it um, in a different setting. We're not following the form. We're just asking lots and lots of questions and formulating ideas. You know, we've got great idea people. And you know what? When the client is sitting here and and they're taking part in building ideas for copy or promotions or whatever when they're helping build the ideas with our staff and we take those ideas out in the form of a long-term proposal, our closing rates much, much better when the client helps come up with the ideas to begin with. Well, that's absolutely fascinating approach. How often do you conduct those meetings? Typical time, usually once a week. Uh, sometimes we'll have none, sometimes a couple. Uh, you know, now since the 1st of March, I don't think we've had any because uh, most of our staff isn't here and the clients don't want to get in a big room full of people, but in normal times, an average of once a week, I imagine. Yeah, I guess these days you may have to start conducting MBI Zoom. Uh, but what I'd like to do, Bob, is uh, put a pin in that right now, and I'd like to kind of come back from the break with a, a further discussion about those meetings. I used to have very similar ones with my staff, and we found those to be extremely productive, uh, where the client sat down with the key personnel from the building and came up with some really neat plans that were very hard for that client to turn down because of the way the idea itself was generated. But first, we're going to take a short break. We'll hear from John Garziglia handling some legal issues. When we get back, we're going to unpack that idea of those client meetings a little bit more on Cool Radio Stories. It's time to Ask John. A regular feature where we ask John Garziglia, a partner with the FCC law firm Womble Bond Dickinson, about legal matters facing the broadcast radio industry. The mailbag today, John, has a question about public files. Last week we talked about the political arena and things you should do. What about a station's public file now online with the FCC? 
For radio stations, there are three significant categories of public file documents that should really be at the top of every radio station licensee's mind. There are the uh, quarter, uh, quarterly issues programs lists, and they need to be timely uploaded every uh, every quarter with the note now that the April 10th one was extended the time for uh, filing that. The uh, online public file was extended by the FCC, FCC to the same time as the uh, second quarter list, uh, that is by July 10th this year because of the COVID-19 uh, situation. Generally, every uh, April 10th, July 10th, October 10th, and January 10th, upload your online uh, upload to your online public file the issues and programs list and the issues and programs list should fairly reflect the issues of concern to the community of license and the programming broadcast in response to those issues of the station is determined for stations that have employment units of five or more full-time employees a timely upload of the annual EEO public file report on the uh, anniversary, anniversary date of each uh, of each station's license renewal filing is required. And then finally, the immediate upload of all requests for political time and the disposition of those requests, requests is essential for the online public file, as well as the required information for non-candidate issue ads. I might mention a good listing of all the required public documents is available on a website with public file checklists at www.garziglia.com checklists, with Garziglia being spelled G-A-R-Z-I-G-L-I-A. So that's garziglia.com uh, forward slash checklists. The checklists haven't been revised yet to account for the year 2020, but do take you through uh, the first part of January. And uh, those checklists that are online should be revised soon for 2020. <laughs> We're back, and we have been listening to the cool radio story of Bob Fain. Bob is currently the owner of KXLG in Watertown, South Dakota, a market of 25,000 people, and yet Bob manages to bill $1.5 million annually with the radio station. He's been sharing his insights with us, and right before the Ask John break, we were discussing these meetings that... Bob and his staff held with potential clients, some existing, some new, where they sit down, everybody in the same room, from programming to the digital team to the seller and creative aspects, all get together. And it seems like it's a rather successful route. I was saying before the break myself that I used to do this with my team. And is the proposals would essentially write themselves is what I would say is because after sitting down with your client, hearing his or her point of view, what they want, what their goals are. If you're taking copious notes, you've got the proposal ready to go as soon as you leave the meeting. Isn't that right, Bob? Yep, absolutely. It's easy to go back with, uh, you know, based on what you told us, here's what we feel would be best for you. And we incorporate the ideas. We don't talk scheduling uh, during those meetings. We don't, unless it's a a special where we think, well, you should be adjacent to this program or that, or create, uh, you know, uh, a special program. We don't ever try and sell them uh, at the meetings. It's just totally based on the client, based on their needs and based on their business. And so when we bring back a proposal, and I, I really demand that the proposals get back to them within a week, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of based on what you told us, here's what we think is best for you. Uh, the ideas, the copy ideas, the, all those things are incorporated into the proposal. And, and it's always a long-term proposal. Uh, we don't ever put an end date on them. We just uh, say, we'll start next week. And if the client says, when will it end? We just tell them, well, whenever you tell us to, otherwise we'll just do this forever. 
and uh, and most of them last a long time. But uh, yeah, as I said earlier, it makes a lot more sense when they've been involved in the planning process and we just bring it all to them with a schedule attached. And uh, also we're very careful to to put a digital mix in with every proposal that we take out and, and the reasons why uh, the combination works better. It makes the sales process a lot simpler. So clearly that's a very impactful and efficient means to get clients on the air, on your digital assets, whatever they may be, by bringing everybody into the room together, the, the various disciplines in the building. So let's talk about those people now, if you don't mind switching gears slightly. What are some of your personal hiring philosophies or the corporate means by which you go out and, and bring people onto your team? We don't uh, necessarily look for someone with radio experience, TV, whatever, advertising experience. We like if they have some sales experience, but we hire first. And I absolutely, you know, this is a, it sounds like a worn out phrase, but I absolutely hire for attitude. You know, it, it, if we, we figure if we've got someone that's a, uh, got a good positive attitude, gets along well with people, uh, seems as though they'd fit into our culture, that is absolutely uh, what I look for first. I think if we get the right person with the right attitude and the right qualities, we can teach them radio. But uh, you can't uh, bring someone in with a bad attitude and, and uh, uh, bad personality traits and fix that. That'll, that's, that's a personality thing. That won't go away. Uh, so we, you know, most of our salespeople uh, that we hire have virtually no previous uh, experience. I like, I like to see backgrounds where they've had service experience. I think restaurant servers are, you know, a, a great people that have great service skills that they've learned. Uh, they've dealt with unhappy customers. They've dealt with happy customers. They know about service. I just, you know, as I go around the community and I run into somebody somewhere that just has a great attitude and a, and a positive, pleasant person, I, I keep a list and I've got a, I've got a, um, a file in my computer just of names of people around town that I think would be great employees. So, uh, you know, if we have an opening, I often will encourage them to apply. So you try to bring in individuals with good attitudes and not necessarily so much radio background. What kind of training then might you offer them? We spend some time with them. I, I spend some time with them myself. Mine is more on the history of the radio station and and our culture and things of that nature. I am fortunate to have a fellow on staff by the name of Dean Johnson, who's got over 40 years experience, uh, both in sales and management. He was Dean Sorensen's GM in this market, in fact, uh, when Dean and I were here years ago. Uh, Dean Johnson works for us, uh, so he spends time with him. And then uh, our sales manager's name is Melissa Herbolt. Um, she is really solid when it comes to the nuts and the bolts of it. She's highly organized and really, uh, you know, follows the process and and uh, writing proposals uh, on and on. So we each spend time with them, um, and then of course we have the same. We we don't force them to watch videos and do all those things, but we sure make them aware of what we have. Uh, uh, we have a, a lot of things, uh, resources available, uh, both through our South Dakota Broadcasters Association and of course through the RAB. Uh, so we. We try and uh, encourage them to spend time with those sources as well, and then just spend a lot of time with them on the street as they uh, as they come in uh, for the first few weeks. Uh, you know, one of us 
one of the three of us that I mentioned tries to be along on on most of the uh, sales calls and just uh, to let them watch and listen and uh, and to critique and uh, make them feel more comfortable in front of the the clients. I'm curious now, Bob, about keeping it all together. You mentioned an ongoing spreadsheet of names of potential future employees, which I think is great. I think the adage is always be building your bench. Now, amongst that, uh, how do you personally keep yourself organized, some of the tools that you use to make yourself a more effective manager and owner? I guess personally, um, as far as organizing, <laughs> I need a lot of help because I'm kind of a I'm kind of a big picture thinker. That's why I have Melissa, who I mentioned earlier, close by in the in the second management position because uh, she can kind of be the yin to my yang because she's highly structured and highly organized and she's got to deal with me out there thinking about the planet instead of thinking about writing the contract correctly. So uh, I guess um, my organizational tools are, uh, are, are, we use radio traffic for our uh, our system out front and I get lots of reports off of that. I mean, I, I, every week I get one or two reports of sales collections, uh, accounts receivable, uh, and I'm always looking out, you know, months ahead uh, on our sales reports. Uh, I also have learned to become pretty efficient with organizing my emails. I have to do that or I lose them. Um, so as far as keeping me organized. I think those are probably the the tools I use the most. And I'm a prolific emailer. Uh, if something crosses my mind, I'm I'm in my 60s. So if I don't do it when it's on my mind now, it's going to go away. So um, I'm uh, I'm a prolific emailer and texter, and uh, and I keep organized by doing one of those two things when uh, when the thought crosses my mind. Okay. Now, from a team perspective, how do you keep traffic, sales, everybody in the building communicating with each other? Well, we have, as far as communicating internally, we have uh, weekly sales meetings, uh, weekly announcer meetings. Uh, Both myself and Melissa are in both of those meetings. Uh, She's really organized with our promotions and such, so she really tends to speak more in the announcer meetings than I do. And uh, then we have monthly staff meetings. Uh, but our, our internal communication is good. I've been so blessed um, as far as, uh, and it goes back to the type of people we hire. We hire for attitude. And that applies with our on-air staff as well as our sales staff. And because we've got uh, positive people with good attitudes in both departments, they get along well. They communicate well. Uh, I just don't, uh, I seldom have to put down a, a flame, you know, or a, brush fire that starts between staff members. They all get along well. They're all friends. They all like each other. And uh, that's really the key. And I'm so fortunate that we've got a staff like that. Our staff, the only downside is our staff's a little old. Uh, I've got about three people in their 30s and then uh, 50s and 60s. even got a a couple that are uh, around 70. So uh, that comes with it. But uh, it used to be a lot older. We've evolved now. We're we're much younger than we used to be. Well, and if nothing else, Bob, we're all feeling younger, right? I want to take a break right now from hearing your cool radio story. When we return, I want to chat about the current environment out there regarding radio stations and the COVID-19 crisis. But first, a special word from a partner. 
Your ears are dialed into Cool Radio Stories, a podcast presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now a word from a radio partner. Hi, this is Scott Murray, president and founder of Big Deals Media. Our mission is to help media companies create powerful new business advertising programs paid for in part with trade or gift certificates. You might be familiar with Groupon or other deals programs, and while we all deal with gift certificates as the currency, I can tell you with 100% certainty that Big Deals is a well-thought-out, appealing marketing program for your advertisers and a much more lucrative revenue solution for your company. You see, while many deals programs are revenue share, where your company is splitting the sale of the certificates as much as 50%, with Big Deals, you keep 93% of your sales. And to ensure your success, we actually come into your market to work directly with your sellers so your sales team sees firsthand the best way to present this solution. Big Deals is changing the way Main Street is buying local media. Today, we have over 3,000 businesses participating in a Big Deals program, and that number is growing every day. How much revenue can you drive from a Big Deals program? We have affiliates generating in excess of $200,000 annually and have been doing so with us since we launched Big Deals during the last economic downturn 10 years ago. Think about it. How good would it look on your P&L right now if your website and digital marketing efforts were driving that kind of revenue? For small businesses, barter is always a popular way of doing business. However, in an economic downturn, barter is king, and monetizing the barter is key for your company. To learn more, go to our website, bigdealsmedia.com, or call us at 952-905-3262. We're back on Cool Radio Stories. I'm your host, Tom Dobrez, visiting with Bob Fain, the owner of KXLG in Watertown, South Dakota. For the break, we were chatting about his staff and communication. And I want to ask Bob now, in the light of the COVID-19 crisis, that is kind of a dark cloud hanging over this particular podcast recording. Bob, how are things going with your staff? How are you now communicating with them? With our sales staff, we're doing, uh, they're working out of their homes now. Uh, we only typically have, right as I speak, I'm at the radio station and uh, there's four of us here, people on air and uh, traffic, uh, that's it. And uh, our on-air staff is only working uh, pretty much their air shift and a little bit of time for production and that's it. We're keeping the uh, keeping the uh, building quite empty yet, um, although our city uh, our city lifted restrictions uh, recently, and uh, our state has never shut anything down. They've just strongly encouraged good behavior, and it seems to be working. We, we're very low on our number of positives in South Dakota, but there aren't a lot of us either. Um, but we have two uh, two. Uh, they're not Zoom meetings. What is it? Uh, I think it's, it doesn't matter which platform it is. Team, I think it's Microsoft Team. Our sales staff meets twice a week um, on a team meeting through uh, uh, through uh, online meeting platforms. And I'm doing my best to keep uh, the air staff informed of what's going on. But Melissa did come in and join us uh, last week uh, to go through you know the, the promotions and things that our announcers needed to be aware of. We spread them all out and had good social distancing, but we had our whole full-time on-air staff uh, in the room, myself and our sales manager. 
just to get up to date, we're getting, uh, you know, we've got a summer promotion coming up and several other things. We're getting into our busy promotional time of the year. So we uh, did one on-site meeting there. Uh, going forward, I would expect in the next week or so, our our sales staff will come back uh, to the radio station uh, through the whole thing. You know, in, in our county, we've only had 14 positive tests and 13 are listed as recovered, no deaths. Um, South Dakota has been fortunate. We've got, you know, we're, we've got uh, closing on a couple thousand positives, but 90% of those have been um, in Sioux Falls, which is by far our largest market in South Dakota. And over half of the Sioux Falls positives have come from, uh, you, you probably heard on a national level, we had a crisis situation with Smithfield Foods in Sioux Falls. And uh, over half the positives have come in Sioux Falls have come from Smithfield. So, so far so good, but we're opening up now. So I expect a little growth in our numbers all across the state. Um, but anyway, going forward, I, <clears throat> you know, I think the key is uh, what how well we did on building those relationships before this. Uh, we got We got hit, we got hurt, but not as bad as I expected. Um, and I really attribute that to a couple things, uh, the good long-term, uh, clients we've had on the air due to the things we've talked about before and, and a good sales staff that has built good relationships with their clients. Um, we're down some, as I mentioned, not as bad as I, as I thought, you know, the first three weeks of the real, um, pandemic, if you will, as it, it started on, you know, unfolding in March. The first three weeks, our total sales went down, but they've been up every week since. So um, I think it'll be good. I think there'll be a lot of pent up, uh, you know, pent up emotion, pent up money. You know, one thing I've noticed, staying home more, we don't spend much. So I think the demand will be there. Uh, I think the economy will come back quickly when uh, we feel it's safe to come out. And uh, I think uh, radio will do well. I just read an article uh, yesterday by someone who thought that radio revenue could uh, double by the end of the year, you know, double what we're doing uh, on a normal year. So let's hope they were right. Well, yes, from your mouth to some higher power ears, we hope indeed that is the case as circumstances get back closer to where they were, a new normal as they're calling it. We do believe and uh, have read it myself that there is a pent up demand out there and that hopefully it will stay local. I think that that's been one of the underlying messages throughout this crisis has been the importance of those small local businesses in everyone's communities. And hopefully the individuals in those towns uh, support, continue to support those businesses and as they show how vital they are to our economy. But, you know, also there's a case of it will be different. People will be needing to conduct business differently and communicating that. I think radio offers that tremendous service and being able to provide the listener with those updated messages about how this business is doing business. Are they open to regular hours? Do you need appointment to go? Uh, can you order online? Is it just carry out? You know, all these different aspects of dealing with the local business will become vital. And I think uh, radio is uniquely positioned to be able to offer those solutions, those advertising marketing solutions to the local businesses. So key is to keep out there, keep talking to them, keep communicating all those fine ideas that you suggested. Bob, it's been great listening to your cool radio story. Uh, perhaps you'd like to share some closing comments with us? Gosh, um, 
I guess you've covered a lot of ground. I just, uh, I'd hope to inject an optimistic note. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of businesses, including a lot of radio stations have, uh, have had a hard path to follow through this. I'm uh, part of a group of stations that communicate with each other a lot. Daily emails we, we share and, uh, from all across the country, and I know it's been a struggle, but I really do believe that the economy is going to come roaring back once we feel it's safe to go outside again. And um, I think, uh, I don't know that we'll be able to make up for this loss that we've suffered over the last month or two, but I think we're going to get back to normal or better uh, pretty quickly. I, I really hope within the next month or two, we're seeing the numbers we would have seen anyway without the uh, pandemic. Very powerful parting words indeed. Uh, Bob Fain, owner, KXLG, Watertown, South Dakota. You've been an inspiration, for, I know, for dozens in the radio industry. You are a true success. Any individual that perhaps joined this podcast late and missed the beginning, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to Bob's conversation about overcoming fear and uh, about sticking with the program during these challenging times. Bob Fain, once again, thank you so very much for sharing your cool radio story with us. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I'm honored to be considered. Well, don't leave us just yet. We have one final audio column for you. This is Digging Into Digital, our chance to kind of give you the latest digital marketing, some things to consider as you strategize and the tactics you might consider using on the digital elements involved in your radio broadcast operation. John Wenzung of Radio Max joins us. It's time to dig into digital, our segment on how you can use digital to unleash the power of your station. Here's our digital guide, Zhang Wanzhong, CEO of RadioMax. This could be the most exciting time for radio ever. With the explosion of smartphones and the skyrocketing increase of users accessing media through their phone, it is absolute time for radio to invest in digital. Radio buyers, advertisers are looking for digital opportunities with your station. Are you giving them the opportunities to advertise with you through digital? I want to share two quick stories with you about web digital versus mobile digital. So we had a client, one of the most high-profile artists in the world. We built an internet radio station for them several years back. When we built that internet radio station, we had a small mobile component. And at the time, most listeners were listening on the website. We were looking at the data when we launched the station. About 75% of those listeners were listening on the website, and only about 25% were listening on mobile. This artist ended up moving their station over to satellite radio, Sirius XM. When we made that transfer over, we looked at the data again, and this was after several years, and we noticed a, a very eye-opening statistic. Now, 80% of the people had been listening to the station via mobile, and only 20% were listening on the website. That's how much things have changed over the last couple of years. People want to access their media, their radio station, when they're not in their car, obviously, through mobile. Or if they're traveling and it's not on the dial, they want to be able to access through their smartphone to plug it into their car and listen to their favorite station. Knowing those stats 
is helping us to understand how important digital is to the growth of radio. Another story. Recently, I was talking to a, a radio client of ours, and they were debating about whether they should invest money in their website or if they should actually get a mobile app. And so we had a long conversation about that. And what we talked about was, yes, you absolutely need a website, but do you need to invest the time and effort in that website when people are basically just gonna be going there to get information? More than likely, most listeners are not gonna be listening to the station on the website. You wanna have that site for the general information you wanna have, but then you wanna have touch points to drive people to download your mobile app. That is where you wanna invest your dollars because that's where you can get the data, the statistics, the interactions that the digital advertisers are looking for to spend the dollars with your station. Right now, radio, it's the Wild West in digital. The most powerful medium out there, we can capitalize, grow, succeed, and take radio to a whole new level on how we interact with our listeners and how we drive revenue and grow our business in the future if we invest in digital. I put it to all of you. Think about how you're approaching digital. Look at your website. Look at what you're doing on mobile. And if you're not doing anything on mobile, it's start to get in the game. It's time to start looking at how you do that because if you do, digital advertisers, radio buyers are going to be coming to you and you're going to be successful moving forward. That's John Wan Zung, CEO of Radiomax. For more on using digital to unleash the power of your station, visit radiomax.co. Well, that concludes this episode of Cool Radio Stories. Once again, a big thank you to Bob Fain for being our guest today. We'll speak with you next week. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.